Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too, Matt. And I say see you because we do this on Zoom, and again, we're all uh, recording COVID safely from our homes. Uh, that includes our other panelists, Robert Craig, the Executive Director here. Robert, good to see you. Greetings and happy uh, second week of a new presidency to our digital and radio listeners. That is uh, that is true, and it is a sunny day. So uh, we'll start on a very positive note with that thought, Robert. That's uh, <laughs> that's excellent. Um, again, uh, we'll let our listeners know, re-record on Thursday morning, and uh, we're going to talk a lot uh, to start the show, talking about what's been happening in the state, particularly around our inability uh, to, quite frankly, function as a, uh, <laughs> as a democracy here. We have uh, complete ineptitude and gridlock around COVID, and we're going to talk about that. Um, we will be joined in our second segment by uh, Senator Chris Larson. Uh, who's been uh, knee deep in this and had to vote uh, this Tuesday around our healthcare emergency. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the Republicans' effort to repeal the healthcare emergency and the uh, mask mandate that goes along with that. Uh, we'll also talk more about vaccines. We need to talk about what's been happening with the new Biden administration. So, Robert, you're Absolutely right to point out it's the second week. We have had a blizzard of executive orders. Uh, there were a couple that we want to talk about uh, around healthcare and around climate. Uh, but hey, let's jump in. Let's, uh, we are a state. We, we like to focus on state politics, and uh, it is very exciting what's happening at the federal level. It is a lot less exciting about what's gone on in our state the last two weeks and also this week as it relates to COVID. And Claire, I want you. I want to get your thoughts. Um, it's it's pretty stunning uh, that we would have a situation where the politics and the food fight over who did it to who, whether it was the legislature or the governor's office or Andrea Palm or whoever you want to blame, uh, that has somehow abused their powers and acting properly, they can't come together and at least just say. We should be wearing masks. This is insane that the uh, the assembly, and let's be clear, is about to vote Thursday morning on this, and that the Senate voted uh, to repeal all of this. Claire, this is, I think it's even stunning because last year they wouldn't do it. They didn't do it during the election cycle. They went to the courts instead. Now they're, the QAnon caucus appears to be pushing this through. Claire? Yeah, I mean, what we saw in 2020, I, I said over and over was an abdication of their responsibility to care for the people of Wisconsin during the worst worst health crisis of uh, our lifetimes or maybe even lifetime before us. And um, what we're seeing now is something much worse, right? They're not just they're not just giving up their responsibility and letting the governor, you know, do what he needs to do to protect the people of the state. They're, you know, they're actively obstructing our ability to slow the spread of the pandemic. They're actively obstructing our ability to keep ourselves and their family members safe. Um, it's, it's unconscionable um, what, what they're doing to eliminate the, um, the public health emergency just because they, I don't know, don't want to wear masks. I mean, it's just, it's something that is so, so easy. 
Claire, Claire, it's weirder than that, right? Like they all seem to want to pretend, except the far right right of the QAnon caucus, right? Uh, the QAnon caucus has some diversity in it, Claire. Um, no, uh, they seem to want to try to pretend that they got nothing against masks, but they're upset that somehow the way it was done. And yet they offer no legislative solution to actually end up with a health emergency and a mask mandate. So it's it, they're trying to have it both ways, which makes them seem ridiculous and petty that they would be more concerned about prerogatives and who did what over, as you said, public health. Yeah, I mean, and again, it shows that they're more concerned about their own power than they are about the lives of their constituents, which is who they're supposed to be there serving anyways, right? Like my, well, I'm sorry, your pride as a legislator that your perceived responsibility was usurped and and I should have to pay and my neighbors should have to pay the consequence with our lives and our health. It's absurd. We had uh, some Republicans in the Senate, too, that voted against this, which is all you need to know that this is a stinker. Robert, your thoughts? Well, look, you can't argue the morality of it or the scientific basis for it. So what I'm going to talk about more is how we deal with it as progressives. Okay, we just need to get real about what has been built Uh, in the American right in the United States. So the big lie extends beyond the election was stolen. The big lie was climate denial. The big lie was, uh, you know, smoking's good for you. I mean, this came from corporate America. And there's a big lie that mask mandates are just some sort of attack on freedom by the libs. And uh, the denial of science is part and parcel of this. And there is, when you see uh, kind of uh, what, what process arguments from Republicans, like they're saying over and over again now that uh, this is because Evers is overreaching, they have done nothing. They have abdicated responsibility, but their base has been so revved up by decades of sleazy lying communication designed to rev them up in order to serve the purposes of ambitious politicians and billionaires and the biggest corporations in America, that they will believe it. It's a fig leaf. And it's not about having an argument. They will abandon all process arguments when it's in their interest of power. And, you know, look at the uh, look at the whole precedent around the, the record uh, confirmation of a state of a U.S. Supreme Court justice or the abrogation under Scott Walker of campaign finance laws to make him not a felon after he shredded them during the recall. So process only matters when we're using it as an excuse. And when they accuse us of overreaching, they accuse us of being partisan and political. Remember, they're essentially uh, 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 thinking, the, thinking that we are the way they are. But the real issue here is, is that Democrats and Governor Evers need to get real that. And so Evers was right just to move forward, because there, it, when there's a moral issue here, like you're trying to save lives, you just have to use your authority. We're to go into a position. Forty one states have a state of emergency. They're trying to abrogate it. Forty eight, a mask mandate. We're rapidly with this state legislature and this right wing in Wisconsin, which is among the worst of the group, which is really saying something, moving to Alabama level. I mean, as one of the outliers. And so that's where we are, but we need to fight them. We need to fight like Republicans and understand 
who we're dealing with. And that's why I admire all the state senators who actually stood up and, and spoke truth rather than pussy put around. One of the things that you rarely see is the amount of organizations that are lined up against what they're doing, uh, both from a business, uh, you know, many of their bases, Robert, you talked about the, the uh, folks who spurred on for power, right? Uh, the, these folks, some of these same interests now are even against this, right? It just shows you how bad this is. And it's in the context of and Claire, I want to get your thoughts. They're offering no solutions. This is the same week the assembly on Tuesday essentially said, no, 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 no. We're not even going to help with COVID relief, Claire. Before, Can I just say before you bump to Claire, sure. remember those interests are going to continue to support Republicans. They're washing their hands of it and cleansing themselves. Do not give them a free pass. But sorry, go ahead. It's Claire's turn. No, that's fine. I agree with everything you said. And so instead, I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. And if, if the Republicans are concerned ostensibly uh, about process, then um, it's a little hypocritical that they're ignoring traditional legislative process in order to ramp through this legislation. And there are serious consequences to that. And one of them came out broke um, overnight over Wednesday night about this bill. Um, and, and it didn't come out earlier because there weren't things like hearings where we would or where legislative staff would evaluate laws. And it was it was discovered that if the state were to repeal our public health emergency, then that would affect our ability to get funds from the federal government for certain types of services. And a big one, a big, uh, big chunk of money that we've been able to get from the federal government is to support our food shares program to increase um, access to food and ability to buy food and food families for low income folks and people who lost their jobs during the pandemic. And without a public health emergency, under the um, federal relief bills that Congress passed, um, we're going to miss out on $48 million in um, funding to support food shares that um, can only go to states that have public health emergencies. And that's going to affect almost a quarter million of Wisconsinites. Look, this is just ridiculously bad policy. It's embarrassing. It is only underscoring just how personal and petty the politics have become in this state, particularly out of the legislature, uh, particularly out of Speaker Voss. Look, we're going to continue to talk more about this. Uh, we are going to be joined very shortly, uh, hopefully uh, right after this break, by State Senator Chris Larson. Uh, Senator Larson had to vote this week uh, on this ridiculous repeal and had some uh, fantastic comments. But uh, again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action, and we are talking about what's been going on in the state around COVID, both the inability of us to actually pass any relief, uh, and that got sunk on Tuesday, and then the just completely unbelievable effort to repeal the health emergency that, look, is just, it's straight, uh, the QAnon caucuses, it could not be any more of a perfect term because that is the only thing that could justify repealing a health, uh, this mask mandate. It is the only thing we have right now to deal with this uh, without uh, complete separation and isolation. Robert? Look, the, the science is unarguable. We're in a pandemic, right? It is one of the greatest threats to human life in all American history. And it's probably, it may end up being 
uh, in, in a short amount of time, if you want to measure it, not like cancer long term, right? The largest. And, you know, you have to be very careful about war metaphors or any metaphor. People don't usually understand that metaphors are meant to compare two elements of unlike things. They're unlike things. So it doesn't mean everything in a pandemic fight is like a war. It means there's some points of comparison. And one is when you're in a war, World War II is the classic good war, uh, people who prevent you from doing what's needed to save human life and to defeat fascism in that case, they were traitors. And I think we need to get that to that position on, on public health. You know darn well this would not have been tolerated during World War II if there were people using process to block us from making the tanks and making the guns and doing the logistics to protect our troops and make them successful out in the field. But that is what is going on. And you have complete nonsense going on, including, and we can get to this, there's some nonsense coming from establishment Democrats as well. And I, it's, not, it, it, it's, ap, it's not apples to apples because there's a total difference. There's a, it's a difference between doing a lot of the right thing and being in erroring in some ways and being completely AWOL. And not only AWOL, they have a list of bills that they're moving. And, the and the, of course, the assembly relief package because uh, they refused to agree to the compromise with the Senate, which was a lot of compromise by the governor. It's not that good a package uh, because they want to make it worse and they want anti-COVID provisions in that will make the pandemic worse. That's simple. And so but uh, we can also, Matt, when you want, talk about some of the lower lights of, of more establishment Democrats understanding it's at a different moral level. And historically, these folks will be looked at like i don't know like that like uh like they'll be looked at like in, in an awful light in the history books there's just no question look so what i want to talk about in you know is this we, we have this problem where politicians want to try to pretend that somehow we're out of this right because somehow because the vaccines have started we're on a clock Democrats think we should be opening up all our schools, right? Like we've got we've got Fauci going around and and public health experts and Claire, I want to get your thoughts talking about how we have strains that it's not fully clear uh, how how they're going to be impacted. Some of them we think are actually spread quicker amongst kids. So you know, and, and yet we're going around and acting as if we're out of this, and we ought to be reopening. I mean, it just it it blows my mind uh, that we would try to open up when vaccination rates when are still low, but yet like relatively close, not that far away, six months, right? And yet we're gonna just prematurely open up. And you know why we have these weird strains? It's because the there's so much uh, the virus has spread so much. And masks are the best way to stop that, right? And so if we don't want more permutations, more mutations, we need to slow the spread. And this idea that we can open up and pretend like every it's, it's crazy. Claire, I wanted to give you a quick comment, and then we're going to be joined by Senator Larson immediately after. Claire. Uh, yes, I think the, the, the two biggest things you've already touched on, but I'll reiterate. Um, one, there are new strains out there that we uh, we don't know if the symptoms are more severe, but we do believe that the they are much more contagious. Um, one of them um, coming out of Brazil is possible, is, ex is, is just you know, much more contagious. Um, and that uh, we just found the first case 
of that strain in uh, Minnesota, which of course is right next door to Wisconsin. And with the way that people from Minnesota have been traveling to Wisconsin, uh, because of course, Wisconsin's restrictions are much um, looser than in Minnesota, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing that strain pop up here in state. Um, and then the second is, of course, that even though you've somebody has received the vaccine, you still have to be wearing masks. Um, and there's a lot, but just because you've gotten the vaccine doesn't mean you don't have to wear a mask in part because we got to maintain the culture of mask wearing. And in part, because we're not 100% certain that you can't um, transmit um, early stages of the virus, even if you've had the vaccine. Let me add that Minnesota has better tracking capacity than we do to detect new strains. So they don't start in the Twin Cities because they're worse necessarily. So that strain is probably in Wisconsin, and we don't have the capacity to ascertain that. With that, we are really fortunate to be joined by our first guest. We've been uh, previewing of it. This is Senator Chris Larson. Senator, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Good to see everybody. Well, we really, really appreciate your time, and we wanted to get your thoughts. We've been talking about just how crazy it is that we could have a rollback of our public health emergency, the mask mandate, and, and on the same week, it's pretty clear that we're not going to have any uh, consensus around any kind of state-based COVID relief due to the assembly. So you, you got a chance to listen to this. Yeah. And I, I heard I heard some of your commentary. It was excellent. Uh, but I want to get your thoughts on uh, the, the situation. And, and then also, of course, we want to talk about if you could provide some advice to our listeners uh, as, as a state senator. But uh, your thoughts. Yeah. about for sure, for sure. I am I'm thrilled to be on with you guys. And it's it's uh, I wish it were under better circumstances, not just that we're in the midst of a pandemic, but the first actions of our state legislature after a historic gap in action, 288 days uh, since they last passed anything that was enacted. The first thing, right, we were we were all shaking our fists collectively, like, why aren't they coming back? Why aren't we doing anything regarding COVID? And it turns out the first thing that they're going to do is actually making it worse. So it's actually better if we would have done nothing at all. Um, but we're right on the, the, the precipice of that. We're, I know we're recording today, Thursday. The assembly is going to be in later today. So they may have already done this. Um, but what's absolutely stunning is if this goes forward, there's a New York Times report that says that uh, if, if this happens, 29 million more infections will take place over the next few months. You extrapolate that out and Wisconsin could end up seeing the same number of deaths that we've already seen, another 5,600 dead, um, which is preventable, right? This is literally the least we could do. Uh, by having a mask and by requiring other people to do it. This saves lives. Um, and just hearing the justification from Republicans on this was, was, in, it was frustrating. And frankly, I'm enraged uh, because this is, it, we, we could be doing so much on this. We're doing the opposite. Um, and, and I don't need to, to say it because I think every listener has their own stories that they're witnessing on a daily basis um, that is just frustrating to them. And to, to finish with what you, you know, what listeners can do, wear a mask, wear a mask. And you know what, you have to be a little bit pushier about it because we're probably not going to have the mandate in place. You're going to say, you know what, if this business decides not to have masks in place, I can't be here. The messages that I've gotten from folks is saying, I will not go to establishments that don't require masks anymore, whether it's a gas station, a grocery store, or a restaurant. Uh, and I think people need to convey that directly to businesses to say being good for your customers means keeping them alive and showing that you care. Robert? Yeah, Chris. And we talked about not taking seriously their process justifications and the obvious scientific and moral outrage of this. Uh, 
and failure just to even perform your basic duty and your oath of office, right? right. You, you know these folks. When you're in a, le- in a legislative body, you get to know some of these people personally. So, look, I know all the movement reasons why, how this, this right-wing ideology and base of people was created deliberately and fomented. And so, in a way, when they say we have to address legitimate concerns that this violates freedom of a mass mandate, they're fomenting those concerns, okay, and creating that false sense that you have a right to infect other people for your own convenience. I know we have to go a break for you before you can answer this question, but my question is going to be, what is driving these individuals? Uh, and do they actually know what they do, or are they such in a ideological blinders, or so much in their public in their in their political interest that they, they they don't even see what they're doing? Do they know not what they do, I guess, or do they know what they do? Chris, with that, we're going to take a quick break. And as soon as we get back, we'll get an answer to that question. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Robert had just asked a question. Chris, Senator Larson, you, uh, you, it's your, the floor is yours. Thanks. Yes, um, it, it's, it's hard to understand. And so there is, I did have a genuine interest in trying to hear from, we only had three Republicans stand up and talk on this and, um, and it, which is which is frustrating in and of itself. Um, but one of but but what was common was saying that they thought that this was political, right? Um, that they thought it was being made political and they were actually frustrated that Governor Evers was doing this without their permission. Uh, one of the senators who got up and spoke said, uh, you can't have an indefinite emergency. Emergencies have to end after 60 days. Which is like, just, you know, like, if you hear that, you're like, my gosh, the power that these folks think they have in the legislature, right, to be able to suddenly, well, if that's the case, right, like, let's declare winter over, and suddenly we're just going to move right into spring, right, and while we're at it, let's declare that the Packers actually won the championship in the four of the last seven years where they fell short, you know, if we're just going to just paper over reality, um, but this is, it, it, and what's remarkable is, of course, they didn't care about that when Walker was the governor and declared multiple emergencies dealing with propane shortages. But this, this, where suddenly, my gosh, the tenacity of this governor trying to protect people. One of the quotes Kathy Bernier actually said, actually came out on the record in the Journal Sentinel and said that she thought that Tony Evers was just doing this to make Republicans look bad, which is just thinking about the 5,600 people who've died in our state and to think that their logic is he's doing this to make us look bad. That is not a skill of the governor. That is not a skill of the governor. They're doing that on their own. Claire, next question. Um, so uh, I've been thinking a lot um, this morning about the news that broke overnight that getting rid of the public health emergency could also um, endanger the state's ability to get millions of dollars, uh, tens of millions of dollars of funding for things like food share programmings um, that would support low-income folks, people who lost their jobs, um, help them buy food for their families uh, during the public health emergency. So my question is, um, do you think that news like that's come out might change anybody's mind um, that might change the calculus or, um, you know, make it so that your colleagues might be more likely to reconsider putting in back a public health emergency, right? Does any of this matter? So, Patrick, yeah, 
Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. And I thought like, oh, good, you know, like the fact that they they missed this and forty nine million dollars, uh, you know, that the state is going to miss out on. But as as you kind of pointed out, the reality is this isn't money that necessarily goes directly to the state. This is something that goes directly to the people who need it in the form of food assistance and food share, right? And so, if anything, I was like you know what, considering how horrible they've been to our working poor in the state, that may end up being a sweetener for them uh, to say, you know what, wow, a double punch. We get to, we get to uh, deliver a blow to the governor. We get to repeal this mass mandate. And at the same time, we get to make poor people suffer, which uh, frankly, it's not just something that's, that's stunning. I do hope that they see this as an off-ramp. I, I have that hope as well, that they say, okay, this is a bad idea. Let's pause and figure this out. Um, but if they do decide to move forward with us, the reality is this actually puts them further to the right than Donald Trump, because the bill that they're referencing is something that was passed by both houses nationally and signed by Donald Trump. And it says that there has to be an emergency order at the state level for masks uh, in order for this to uh, be a, uh, the money to go forward, which means that Donald Trump is in, was in favor of recognizing that these states have emergency mask orders in place. So if they decide to, to blow it all up, it shows not only are they continuing in the vein of Donald Trump, they're actually moving even further uh, to the right of him. Look, and I would just add, Chris, with President Biden's uh, refreshing commitment to masks, um, I think more federal funding is gonna be tied to mask mandates. And this makes us a total outlier. We're going to be uh, one of only three states without a mask mandate if they succeed. So we're direct going to Mississippi, Alabama levels. I mean, to some degree, I think debating their motives and what they're doing is pointless. We know uh, what they're willing to do, what, how much blood they're willing to have on their hands. And we're seeing that in the ridiculous justifications not to have an impeachment trial for a president that committed sedition at the national level. And that's the people they look at, they're betters, right? right. Uh, I would just say that you have staked out and very refreshingly a bolder stand within the Democratic Party than many others. And I think while we make a moral distinction between Democrats who aren't doing enough or doing making some, some mistakes versus people who are trying to make it worse and undermining what, what needs to be like a war response, that, that's not the same thing, okay? So I'm not trying to say, and we do need to have an alliance in the party between progressives and moderates. So I'm not saying the moderates are the enemy, but I just wanna point out that we are tied for 46th in vaccine distribution as percentage of population, the latest CDC numbers. Um, and we are not protecting schools and we're talking about going back and we have this CDC study that's being used to justify it that just came out. But let's face it, it doesn't take into account the new strains, which are here already. The UK strain uh, passes predominantly to young people. And we're not taking into account that even the CDC study says it's safe with very high level of safety standards that we are not enforcing in Wisconsin schools. And in fact, the Republicans are going to prevent and I don't know, I agree it's terrible for kids not to be in school, but, you know, having your, your mom or your grandma die is more traumatic, okay? Yeah. And for, because that's what, if we spread the infection or your teacher, and we just learned a new study 
pregnant women are 16 times more likely to die from COVID. And guess who likely to be a pregnant woman? She's likely to have potentially a lot school-age children that could get her infected. So what on earth are we doing? We don't at the state level right now have even clear safety guidelines for schools. We've, uh, uh, the Department of Health Services has put it on the local uh, health departments, most of whom aren't doing it very well or not at all in some cases. And school superintendents aren't qualified and are under pressure from the loudest parents just to go back. Right. And um, yes, and I do, we've been trying to, to, to push for DHS to have clearer guidance from, from go and frankly, with an adjustment for the new strains, because that has not happened at the local level. It has barely uh, broken into the conversation of school districts are deciding what to do moving forward. And as I talk to the districts that, that, I, uh, that, are, that are in my uh, Senate district, uh, they're all looking at each other. They're looking at the, the guidance from DHS and they're looking at what others are doing. And they get to a certain point and almost to a district, they've all kind of shrugged and said, well, others are opening, so we've got to do it. Uh, and we're just listening to the to the parents. And so that's where I think it, it turns to your listeners, right? For those that have reached out to the legislature, it's worth reaching out directly to your school boards and your uh, administrators and asking them to say, take these new strains into account. As you said, yes, this, this actually looks like it passes more among kids as asymptomatic carriers. And then even beyond that, um, early studies are saying that it's uh, shows that it's even deadlier uh, among adults. So it spreads quieter, it spreads among kids, and it infects adults. That has not been taken into consideration, and, and we're trying to work with DHS to make sure that they adjust their advice. Um, but you're right, and I, I, it's frustrating because I think we see these uh, the, 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 the statements that say, yes, we can reopen if this, 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 and this are happening. And unfortunately, what people hear is uh, it's safe to reopen. And then they, they forget about if you're doing this, 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 and this, and then they basically, they get to reopen and then they forget about all those safety measures. And this is where you're having school districts already who are struggling to find uh, substitutes. They're struggling to stay open because they're short staffed because people have to keep quarantining. People are getting sick and frankly, uh, people are dying and I get it. We're all, we're all going through a different degree of, of, of suffering here. Um, but it's one thing for, for me who, you know, and, and parents who are working and I'll show you, right. Uh, I've got my six-year-old with me at the Capitol cause we're doing our virtual learning. Um, and that's, that's tough. It's a whole nother thing altogether uh, when people are going to be dying um, as a result of people being forced into unsafe situations in school, in work and elsewhere because people are tired and they don't want to take science into account. Yeah. I, I appreciate hearing that. I'll just say this as a parent too, like you, uh, my kids also attend Milwaukee public schools and my, one of my sons is at Rufus King. And the idea I heard on the news that they may go back in April, like a month before the school year ends. Are you kidding me? That strikes me as insane that we would have them out the whole year, have them set up to, for internet learning, which by the way, I think is going relatively well given the situation and uh, kudos that they set up and were able to structure that way and have a cert certitude around that, that they would go back into the schools unvaccinated for like three or four weeks before they leave. It's, it's, it seems insane to me, but anyways, uh, the point being, and we got to go to a, 
we got to go to a break and I want to come back. Senator, I hope you can stay with us. We want to, we want to talk more about this. I know Claire, I want to give you an opportunity to, to ask another question and, and comment, but with that, we're going to, we're going to take a break listening to the battleground Wisconsin. We're talking with Senator Christopher Larson about a response to COVID. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the battleground Wisconsin. We're really happy to have Senator Christopher Larson with us. And we're talking about the just it's been a, another strange week. The legislature's back, and the first thing they do is repeal our, our working to repeal our health emergency and our mass mandate. Claire, I wanted to give you an opportunity uh, to to ask the senator a question. Just commenting on the the school item real quick. I, I I don't want people to freak out and think that for the school board or the administration has said yes, students in Milwaukee public schools are going to go back in April, right? Like if you were listening to that conversation, that might be the takeaway, right? There, the, it is a timeline that has been discussed. This entire process, this entire time, what's been happening is that the school board and the administration have been meeting regularly, sometimes monthly, to decide: do they want to go back now? Do they want to postpone? This is a continuation of that process. They haven't made a decision. They're going to reconvene in March. I wouldn't be surprised if what, what happens in March is what has been happening all along, which is that they'll say, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to come back. So, so I, I don't want to. That's just, that's just MTS. They're open mm -hmm. in the suburbs and all over the state and opening, but I tell you, it's good for you clarified on MTS, but we have a statewide audience, as you know, Claire. Of course. And I, I only I usually don't talk specifically about one school district. I wanted to clarify that in this specific case, since Matt talked about one specific school district. And I didn't want folks to think it, it sounded like he was saying they're going to go back in April. Like that's not something that's been decided. Um, so I guess my question for you, um, Senator, is where do we where do we go from here? Right. I mean, I asked you a question about do you do you think that this thing about the food shares money will change people's minds? Um, and you know, if it doesn't, uh, where, where do we go from here? Obviously we're working to mobilize people to contact their legislators to support the public health emergency, but, but after the repeal, if it's passed is passed, um, mm -hmm. well, what, what should we be advocating for? Is there something on your plate that you're thinking of promoting that you could use our support on? Yeah, I mean, I think it is, um, a lot of it is gonna be on pushing, um, pushing at the local level, right? There has been this, 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 um, this mantra at the state level to say, oh, we're gonna let locals decide. And of course, locals are also getting pushed by, by lawsuits and by the same right wing um, that's saying that you shouldn't be allowed to do this anyway, anyways. Uh, so folks are definitely gonna be, have to be, you know, be a heck of a lot louder. Um, but I would say that I think it's, it's, it's worth recognizing for those that have been most diligent in this, it's, we have to continue to move, uh, to be and do the right things, to wear masks. The CDC is now probably going to be recommending wearing double masks with this new strain, continue to wash hands, um, and continue to keep social distance. And as tough as it is, it's, it's like, um, there's an analogy that I like that, that I used to, uh, when, I, when I was training for um, uh, longer distance events, and they basically say, you don't, you don't get to quit when you get tired. You know, it's like wrestling a bear. You don't get to quit when you get tired. You can only take a break once the bear gets tired and once the bear is defeated. And so I get while people are struggling with the pandemic, we don't get to quit because we're tired. We don't get to quit until the pandemic is defeated and we figured our way out of this where we have vaccines enough for herd immunity. And the reality of it is um, that may not be for, your, for a year, right? There are no vaccines available for kids 
And even beyond that, there are no vaccines even in clinical trials for kids under the age of 10. So what does that mean? That means that all adults who are having a public face interacting with kids are going to need to be vaccinated. And by the way, they may need most likely boosters along with that before we're even gonna get to a place where, where kids can, can have a normal life in school and doing what they, uh, what they would rather regularly doing. So I would say brace for the long-term. And the fact is we're gonna come out of this better. We're gonna come out of this stronger. Um, this is from the beginning, as people were saying, right? Like we're all in this together. You got to look out for your neighbors. Some fell off that very quickly and decided that they were going to only look out for themselves and only going to care about whether they had to wear a mask or not and shake their fists at the person making minimum wage at the grocery store and mouth breathe at them and tell them, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't define us, that defines them. And so we need to continue to be diligent, continue to do the right things, and continue to push our public officials to do the right thing. Um, there's very little excuses that came out of the Republicans' mouths. And I think that this is something, this should be uh, a, a turning point of, of, of what people think of the two parties, of who's actually looking out for community, doing the bare minimum of what government is supposed to do in protecting your neighbors. And I'd just add, Chris, that they are making a calculation, since mask mandates are popular, that there's a smaller group of people who have a toxic view of freedom. I can do what I want, no matter how many people I kill, for my convenience. Um, that they're the ones vote, and that everyone else will not vote on this issue. The only thing that would move them is fear of their losing their seats. And it is a redistricting year, so they don't know what district they're going to be in exactly, what the map's going to be. Firestorm is the only possible thing. It's not ethics. It's not arguments. It's not science. It is literally raw self-interest that could move them. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. It's, this should not be political. Uh, yes, we as progressives, we have a tendency to you know, be distracted by whatever the latest fight is. Um, but this is one where we can't do that. This has to be very clear. And I, I even struggle to do this right time is trying to explain the justification for why Republicans are doing this. There really isn't one. They're not even giving one for gosh sakes, right? They're just doing this for the sake of doing it. It is political petulance. It is political expedience. And the reality is on this is we need to be having good government, good government. This is the time to step up, right? Maybe people don't like the word of government, uh, but think of it as a family, think of it as a community. And like when there is an emergency, pandemics are tough to deal with because we, we've only, we only haven't dealt one with in our lifetimes, right? The last one was the Spanish flu. So think of it of a natural disaster when a hurricane comes through or in Wisconsin, a tornado comes through, we all step up to take care of each other, right? We make sure that people are safe. That's what community is supposed to do. And as government leaders, that's what we're supposed to do. And for those that are not only advocating that responsibility, but actually making it worse, right? To use the analogy, pushing people out into the tornado while it's still happening, uh, that needs to be remembered uh, the next election cycle and beyond. Those people should not be allowed to serve their community when they're willing to put the, their, their neighbors' lives at risk. One piece of hope, ideologies end usually when they overreach. And they're certainly overreaching and they're vulnerable. So I know it feels like we'll never defeat them, that this is like the new normal. They are overreaching so much. There's, uh, there's a kind of an opportunity. It's too bad that there has to be this much lost life in order to have an opportunity. That's not our, what we want. We'd rather have an effective response to the pandemic, but we got to play the cards we're dealt. Yep. Moving forward, there's, there's other 
you know, there's very few things that are happening. This has been a lot of these folks are reelected. We had the least active legislature in the uh, entire country, right? Least active full-time legislature in the country. But even before the pandemic, there was, we were set close to setting a record in terms of how few bills were actually passing. And so we've reached a point where this is beyond the pandemic. Uh, this, 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 the logical conclusion for this ideology that says that we don't need government, we shouldn't be doing anything or passing any bills or passing any laws. Um, and so this is, I don't know what the next term is going to bring, but given that's where they've been, um, it's going to be on the public more than ever to really push the legislature to actually get some things done, um, especially as the budget is coming up next in a few weeks, um, where schools continue to be underfunded. And frankly, I have not it, I've, I have not heard a speech from a Republican where they have not mentioned how much they'd love to go after public schools, claiming that they're not doing their job right now in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and the reality is they're spending more money. Teachers are working harder to try and engage students. There are things that they've had to spend money on that they would never have thought before, right? If you're going to have uh, clean air, you have to spend money on that. If you're going to have to have PPE, you have to spend money on that. And frankly, if you're teaching virtually, a lot of people have had to either build those systems or buy those systems. Uh, so just gearing up for the budget fight because they're, they're probably going to come for public schools um, because that's what they've tended to do, right? This is like the Hurricane Katrina model uh, where after Hurricane Katrina went in and destroyed things, uh, the privatizers came in and took over the schools and gutted them. Um, and there's a real worry in the public school advocacy movement that that may happen on a wholesale basis uh, for our public schools. So um, as tough as it is, continue to stay engaged, continue to push your legislators. Well, Senator Larson, we appreciate that you've been a longtime listener and supporter of the show and always available to come on and uh, educate our listeners, let them know where you're at and, uh, and lead in the legislature. And uh, we, we look forward to having you on to talk more about the state budget as it moves, because as you mentioned, it's going to be absolutely critical. Uh, but we want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you for all you guys are doing. And uh, thank you for sharing the megaphone with me for a brief minute. Truly appreciate all you guys do. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And again, you know, our listeners want to remind you, it is really important that you do reach out to your, to, to your legislators about the mask ordinance. Let them know. Also, please share this stuff. Not everybody in your networks tracks state politics. It's very important folks are aware of what's going on. So please use your social media networks to get the word out about this. But with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we want to thank Senator Larson for joining us. We're going to we're going to turn our focus uh, back to the federal level. And uh, we'll probably be doing that a lot more uh, this year than we have for certainly the past four years, because there's real legitimate governing that's going to be going on in uh, DC. And uh, this week, there were a couple of really important executive orders that I want to get comments on. We're going to talk about a couple of healthcare executive orders later, but Robert, I wanted to start by having you discuss a little bit. Biden uh, had a number of orders that really hopefully are going to lead to job creations, but really dealt to deal with the climate crisis uh, around gas and oil. Tell our listeners a little bit more about these and why they're so important. Well, just as within COVID-19, there's been a dramatic reversal 
on the even bigger threat, as scary as COVID-19 is, climate is about a genocide, uh, folks. And we only we have till 2030 to reduce emissions by nearly half. And Trump set us back and set us back uh, internationally, because this is a global problem, not just a U.S. problem, though we all we are a lot, disproportionately a lot of the greenhouse emissions, uh, relatively speaking. So that he can't do everything, but he is doing everything he possibly can right now by executive action. Executive order is one of the instruments. It's not the only instrument. And so he has rejoined earlier the, the Paris Climate Accord, and we are going to be uh, uh, actively engaged in that and having a big meeting around it on Earth Day. Uh, he has canceled the, pi the XL pipeline, causing complaints from Canada and the Prime Minister of Alberta, uh, the, uh, the, the, the province. Of course, Canada there is being very hypocritical since they claim they're doing they're meeting the Paris Climate Accords, but they want to drill the star the uh, the star uh, the tar sands and send it here, and that stuff needs to stay in the ground, folks. And he has uh, put a pause on all federal leasing uh, for oil uh, drilling, which has caused great backlash in the state of Wyoming, which ought to be ignored. Wyoming has done nothing to have a green transition and thinks it can be an oil state its life and certainly has no reasonable representation, as we know what politics in Wyoming are like, full of climate deniers over there. And uh, he is, uh, but the most important thing that you referenced, uh, Matt, and there are other elements like uh, reserving a lot of federal land for conservation so it could ever be drilled on, for example. Uh, there is a real push on electrification because electric cars are right around the corner. We're about to have we're about to have 100 models available within a year or two. They're going to be cheaper than gas-driven cars. We're about to have a crisis where people want to buy them and they don't aren't able to charge them or can't travel with them. And their ranges are greatly extending. So they're becoming more and more workable with battery technology. And that is, that is increasing exponentially. It's like uh, the computers in the 90s. They just get better and better. That's what's happening with electric vehicles. And they're faster. They're really cool. So that, that, but frankly, the most important thing is, is that he's framing this around jobs. And we just need to understand that they're the major argument from fossil fuel interests, from all the climate deniers and all the right wing infrastructure that is create gli uh, climate denying infrastructure to lie to the population that they keep saying it's a job killer. And in fact, we need both. He's facing multiple crises and there's a crisis in having a middle class in this country. The level of income inequality is the worst we've ever had. It's surpassing the Gilded Age. The amount of money concentrated in the top uh, 0.1 of 1%. And middle class and working class and, and low income people are losing ground. And there's a real question about how many middle class jobs there'll be. This is a fantastic, and, and you don't, can't get racial equity without transforming this. You could use the fact that we need to use our government to plan this climate transition to also, as Biden says, build it back better, but that means building it back equitably, building it back juster, sharing resources in this country so there really is equal opportunity. And we start to get back to the golden age, which turned out to be post-World War II until the late, not mid to late 1970s and the, and the Reagan revolution. And so this is huge. 
he cannot really produce that many jobs, some economists have pointed out, just with executive orders. Uh, so this is going to require legislation. So it's going to get to using budget <clears throat> reconciliation, how much you can get through on a 50 votes in the Senate, how much you could, whether you have to get rid of the filibuster and move the two remaining Democrats, Mansion of West Virginia, a fossil state in a truck, and Cinema of Arizona to modify or get rid of the filibuster. And it might be modify. It might be they actually have to hold the floor. And that in the old filibuster, which was not part of the Constitution, you still had to have a vote. They could just delay it and bog down business for two weeks. They couldn't just kill it. Uh, and you already have a rigged Senate that uh, that's minority rule because of the small state representation and rural overrepresentation. You had the filibuster that we don't have a democracy. So, folks, this is really important. These executive orders send a critical signal. We had Raphael Smith on just a couple of weeks ago to talk about potentially what Robert's saying. There could be some bills. We're going to continue to talk about this is very important. We need to be ready. It's a real opportunity on the federal level that maybe didn't seem possible a few months ago. Claire, I need you to give us an update on the executive orders around health care. We have uh, in particular, right, it sounds like we're going to reopen up the uh, ACA exchanges for folks. And there's new and more information about expanding access to reproductive health. Yeah. So um, the the executive orders on um uh, on healthcare. So what Biden has been doing is every day taking sort of a different theme and doing his executive orders on those themes. So so Wednesday, uh, the 27th was sort of climate day. And today, the day that we're taping, Thursday, the 28th is healthcare day. And so we don't know absolutely everything. I haven't had a chance to read the executive orders today. I just have the White House's um, description of what's in them. Um, so on their face value, they seem a little less expansive and exciting than um, what Robert just described, but when you dig deep into them, they're actually pretty important. So um, yes, one of the things that he does almost immediately is um, create a what's called a special enrollment period, um, which is opening up the ACA marketplace for people to purchase or change their uh, coverage if they get it through the marketplace. Um, and that usually only happens during a specific time during the open enrollment period in the year, or if you have a life event that allows you to, to change, like if you um, age out of your parents' coverage or you lose your employer-sponsored coverage, et cetera. Um, so that special enrollment period is going to take place from February uh, 15th through May 15th, which is a pretty big window. Um, this is helpful for folks who found it complicated to navigate buying their coverage um, during the pandemic, especially if they lost their job and needed to buy new coverage. Um, so, but, but it's a small first step. Um, it's, it's not some sort of sweeping, you know, structural change, um, but it's something small that needed to happen. Um, the bigger thing I think is the president directing federal agencies to, uh, re-examine and reconsider policies, um, and, uh, rules that the Trump administration put forth, um, as they relate to, um, the quality and affordability of Medicaid and also, um, ACA plans. So for example, um, they, the agencies are told to, uh, re-examine policies that might undermine protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, 
A big one is, it sounds complicated, uh, demonstrations and waivers under Medicaid and the ACA that reduce coverage or undermine programs. So that's like a complicated way of saying things like work requirements, right? So the federal government has been issuing waivers for states to implement work requirements as part of their Medicaid programs. Wisconsin is such a state. Um, we haven't been implementing them during the pandemic so we could get extra funding, but this is something that could affect us in the future. If, if the federal government were to say, okay, we're not going to grant waivers or we're going to reverse waivers that um, have work requirements for Medicaid programs. Like that would be a really big deal. This is a first step towards that. Um, um, they're also going to look for policies and rules that make it more difficult to um, enroll in Medicaid or the, on the ACA um, that reduce affordability of coverage or financial assistance. So this is this is an important, this is almost like a fact-finding mission, right? Like he's telling the agencies, go out, find all the crummy things that Trump did to make healthcare unaffordable and let's get that list together so we can start reversing those policies. Um, and then the last thing is that um, he, Biden issued an executive order that is reversing what has commonly been called the global gag rule, um, which says that, um, and this is some, this is a Reagan era policy um, that had been overturned and then Trump put it back into effect that basically says um, that um, it bars non-global nonprofit agencies that work um, around the world and healthcare issues from receiving federal support or funding from the United States if they perform um, abortion counseling or referrals or services. So um, this is basically President Biden reaffirming that he believes in a global right for um, uh, women's reproductive health and uh, women's to um, to have a right to to make that determination for themselves. So, folks, again, these are it just shows these are going to be areas where we can expect uh, actual legislation to make improvements in these areas, and we're going to keep you educated, updated about opportunities. And certainly, from the organizing side, our organization is going to be uh, involved in both of these areas on any opportunities and pushing to make as much progress as we can. And wherever possible, structural change. Uh, that may be more challenging, but we'll continue to work. I want to thank our guest, uh, Senator Larson, for jumping on and, and talking to us about the experience uh, as a state senator in the legislature and also uh, a little bit of uh, vision from him as to where we ought to go. Uh, but with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin uh, podcast. Also want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge. He's been making this podcast happen seamlessly throughout this pandemic. And it is, I can't tell our listeners how that's not easy as he just uh, made the editing clipping motion. It's a lot of work for him, but we really appreciate him and everything he does for us here at uh, the Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.